Well, it's good to be with y'all. Um, my name is Matt Blackwell. I'm the uh, South Campus Pastor. That launches in three weeks, and so we're very excited about that. January 20th, it's coming up, and uh, we're looking forward to that. So please be praying for us uh, over the next couple of weeks as we uh, launch this thing. But we are in the last couple of days of 2012. Hard to believe that we've made it this far and, and already at the end of this year. Uh, we made it through the Olympics. Uh, that was this year. It seems like a long time ago. And the election was this year. And the Mayan calendar ended. ended. So you can pat each other on the back. You survived that. And uh, so we're excited that you made it to the end. And now you're on the brink of 2013 and uh, making resolutions to hope that this year upcoming will be better than the years previous. And so we all resolve to uh, maybe eat less and exercise more and break bad habits. And, uh, and then hopefully by doing those things... Will somehow accomplish an even better year. However, uh, so I did a little research into figuring out because I've made a couple of resolutions in my days and, uh, and wanted to see, okay, am I in good company or am I just a complete failure because uh, I can't ever seem to do this. And so uh, 92% of us that make resolutions will not accomplish those things. So go get them. Uh, try, try really hard. Uh, 80% of us won't even make it out of January. And 60% of those of us who sign up for a gym membership in January won't go after February 1st. We're done. Um, and so uh, now that you're nice and pumped up, ready to go, uh, we think through this. I love uh, the, the opportunity that we have in New Year's because it's sort of the annual reset button. Uh, we hit that button and we can start fresh. And the things and the patterns that we've had previously, it's a, it's a natural time to begin to break those patterns and think about what the new year will hold and all the hopes uh, and anticipations of that. But, but oftentimes we sort of do the same things and we reap the same results and we wonder why it is that we have been in this same place over and over again, year after year, struggling with the same things. And my hope for us is this, is that this year would be marked by something different. This year we would be marked by the very presence of God in our lives. Uh, that the relationship that we have with God would not just be sort of one of many important things, but it would rise to be preeminent over all other things, that our relationship with God uh, would be the most important relationship and that God's presence would be a true value of ours. Because the scripture speaks of God's presence uh, as being our safety and our security and our strength. It says that God's nearness is our good. In Psalm 16, it says this, it says, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. And so we want this year to be marked by safety and security and goodness and fullness of joy. And according to the scriptures, the way that we move into that is by being in the very presence of God. And so this morning, I want to uh, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 33. And what we want to do this morning is begin to ask God to change our heart's affection to make us long for and want his presence more uh, in our lives. And so Exodus chapter 33, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it there or it'll be on the screen behind me. Um, but if you haven't been in Exodus in a little while, here's what's happening uh, previously in the story. Uh, Exodus begins with the people of Israel in Egypt. Now, they've been there for about 400 years, and over that course of time, they become enslaved to an evil pharaoh. God raises up a man named Moses, and Moses says, let my people go. Uh, the plagues happen, the Red Sea, they cross over into the wilderness on their way from slavery to this promised land that God said that he would give his people. 
And so the immediate context is this, is that Moses goes up onto Mount Sinai to receive from God uh, the rules for building the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle was essentially uh, the, the portable church, the, the place that the presence of God would go with the people. So Moses goes up there onto the mountain uh, to receive the rules. The people are down below for 40 days. Just 40 days is all it took for complete chaos to break out in the camp. So the people go, we don't know what happened to Moses. They say, this fellow Moses, we don't know what happened to him. We need a new leader. We need a new plan. We need a new God. So they go to Aaron, the priest, and say, okay, Aaron, here's our jewelry. We're taking off our jewelry. Melt this down. We need a new God. So he says, okay, not a great idea for a priest, but he does that. He melts down the jewelry, and he crafts a baby cow and says, ta-da, your God's. Your new God is this baby cow. And the people applaud and they go crazy and they throw this huge party. It says uh, in in the scriptures that there was music and dancing uh, and that that they get up to play. The word in the Hebrew is sort of the nice Bible word for saying there's some adult content happening at this particular party. Uh, So much so that Moses and Joshua are coming down the mountain. Uh, Joshua is Moses' assistant. He looks at Moses and says, There's a war going on in the camp. There's a war. And so they begin to get closer and they say, that's not a war. That's a party. Now, some of y'all are going to go to New Year's Eve parties tomorrow. If if the cops knock on your door and say, we've got uh, uh, an alert that there's a battle going on in your apartment, that's that's some sort of funky, epic party that's going on. And that is the, the thing that Joshua says, there is a war. And Moses says, no, that's just a worship service. That's a A party. And so they move into camp and Moses is living. And God brings judgment on the people. 3,000 people die because the wages of sin is death. And on the tail end of that failure, we see this in Exodus chapter 33. God is going to continue his promise to his people. We see in verse 1, it says this. It said, the Lord said to Moses, depart. Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's stop right there, because here's what God is saying. God is saying, I want you to go up and inherit the land. The land that was promised to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 that your grandfather's grandfather talked about and now it's passed on generation to generation. That land that's going to be flowing with milk and honey, this promised land. I want you to be the generation to go up and inherit that land. So it's a good deal. It's good news. It's going to finally, they're going to have property. They're going to have the place to call home. No longer will they be slaves in Egypt. Now they're going to have a place that's theirs. No longer will they be impoverished, but now they will have a land that's flowing with milk and honey. Those are symbols of prosperity and abundance. They'll have those flowing in this new place. And not only will they have that, they'll have peace. It says that God's going to send his angel out and he's going to drive out all their enemies. So they're going to get peace and they're going to get property and they're going to get prosperity. All the things that they had ever hoped for, they're going to have in their grasp. This is great news. Except there's this one little hitch. We'll continue reading verse three, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. 
When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. And so we see God say, I'm going to give you the the peace and the prosperity and the property, everything you've ever wanted for. However, there's this one little deal is that I'm not going to go with you. I'm going to send you, but I'm not going. And the people might have heard this. There might have been some, some of the folks in the camp. There might even be some folks in this room that say, hey, that kind of sounds like a good deal. So you get all the benefits, all the blessings of, of knowing God, but you don't have all the burden of the relationship, all the, the rules of religion. You get the things that God provides in the peace and prosperity, but you don't have to follow all the rules of the, 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 the relationship with God. And they say, man, that's, that's not a bad deal. But that isn't how the people respond at all. Moses says that this is a disastrous word. He says this would be an absolute disaster. To get everything we'd ever wanted without God would be a disaster. And so they mourn. It says they take off their jewelry. The jewelry that they had used to burn down to make a baby uh, cow to worship. These jewels that were their, uh, their joy. They say, we're laying these things down because they pale in comparison to your presence, God. God, we want your presence to go with us. We don't just want all the things that you provide. We want you. And so I'm thinking through what would this look like uh, for us to kind of wrestle through. Think about it like this. So um, if Shannon and I were to load up the three boys in the family truckster, we've got three young boys, uh, eight, six, and three, and we throw them in the minivan. We don't throw them. We, we gently place them into their car seats. Uh, and we drive down uh, I-35 to Fiesta, Texas. And we, we open the thing. And, and we hand them each a ticket and $10. And we say, go for it. Uh, have a blast. You get to go into Fiesta, Texas. Use your $10 to buy funnel cake and lemonade. And uh, it's probably about all you can get with $10. So uh, you're done after that. And so go for it. Go to the shows. Like they actually probably wouldn't go to the shows. And, uh, but go to the rides and do, the, do everything that a boy would want to do at Fiesta, Texas, it's going to be awesome. And they're like, yeah. There's one little hitch though. Uh, Mom and I were getting back in the van and we're going back to Austin. And so you're on your own. And so they may go in and they may enjoy it uh, for a few minutes. They may enjoy it for a few hours. They may ride a couple rides, but at some point in the day, the reality would begin to set in that even though they have all the rides and the shows and the funnel cakes they can eat, there is something that is missing because of the, the, the presence of the parents. When mom and dad leave, they take with them safety and security and wisdom. And so they begin to lose that thing and it would be an absolute disaster for them. And the, the weight of the lostness that they would begin to feel, the, the darkness that they would begin to feel. They don't have to know how to get home. Right? And so that idea is what's happening here. Moses is saying, God, we don't want all the rides and the shows and the food. We don't want peace and prosperity and the property if you're not in it. We want your presence. We want you, God. Certainly we want the things that you provide, but not if it's at the cost of you. See, we value your presence with us as preeminent, as the most important thing. And so the view that they have in that, they, they learn this coming off this complete debacle of the, the golden calf. But we watch this. Why in the world would they begin to, to want and long for God's presence? I love this. As I was reading this, um, God began to stir this in me. Uh, in verse, let's start reading in verse 12. We'll go down through 
16. It says this, Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. And so Moses is, is interceding now before God for the people. And he's saying, God, no, it's your presence. Please, if you don't go, we don't want to go. If your presence doesn't go, then don't take us up. God, if your presence doesn't move into this new year to, to lead and to guide all the things that could provide, the, the new job, the new relationships, the, the, uh, the certificates of graduation that we hope to find, the diplomas, the, any of the, the, the things that we might say this year has been a success, all of those things find themselves as worthlessness compared to your presence, God. So if you send us into this new place without you, then nothing else matters. And that's what we're praying as we go and launch new campuses, as we go down to South Austin now in, in just a few weeks. Our hope and prayer is that God would go before us and that we would join him in the actions that he's already doing there. That we say, God, if your presence doesn't go to South Austin, then don't send us there. God, it's you that we want. And so God, God is moving among the people and Moses begins to, to, to ask for these things and he says something really significant that I hope you caught in verse 16. We just read it. He says, it's your presence that makes us unique or distinct. See, there's a value in God's presence among us that makes us unique or distinct. It's an issue of our identity. The question is, what makes you, you? What makes... The Austin Stone Community Church, the Austin Stone Community Church. And what makes us as a people, us? What are the things that define us? Who are we? Uh, there's a million different ways that we define ourselves, aren't there? There's a hundred things that we would say, this is who we are and this is uh, the way that we want to be known and this is the image that we want to project. This is sort of the identity that we want to have. We want to be known as the smartest or the, the fastest or the wealthiest or the, the prettiest or whatever it is. And we say, these are the things that are going to create an identity. These are the, going to be the things that say, I'm worth something, that I'm valuable, that I am these things. But, God, but Moses is saying, God, it's your presence that should be our identity, our primary identity. But man, we spend so much energy, don't we? We spend so much money and time and effort and stress and strain trying to create a sense of identity to say, look, we are valuable. We are important. We are useful. And that we all hope that we sort of have this latent potential that's sort of unlocked. And all of a sudden, we go from being a nobody to a somebody. We hope for that. We love that story. Every generation has this movie. 
uh, the movie where there's the, the kind of the ugly duckling girl who has her hair up in a bun and, and kind of wire glasses and, and, and grungy clothes. And, and all of a sudden she takes her hair down and our glasses off and gets new clothes. And she's the most beautiful girl in school. And, and everybody wants to be near her. And we love that story. It's, it's every, it's whether it's, you know, Clueless or Can't Buy Me Love or all, you know, I don't know. Those movies kind of date me a little bit because they're like from the 80s. But I'm sure there's new ones that, uh, that have come out recently. But, but that story, we love that story. Why? Because she went from being a nobody to a somebody overnight. And we said, we want that story to be true of us. We want to be somebody. We want to be noticed. We want to be beautiful. We want to be wealthy so that we have value. We, we guys, you may not do this, but I, first time I ever grabbed a golf club, I thought, I'm going to be a natural golfer. Like, it's going to be just this natural swing and flow. And as you can tell, I'm, not, I'm like not even, uh, and it just didn't happen. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe golf's not my thing. Maybe I need to move on. I want to find that thing that is my thing because that will be, make me valuable. It'll make me important. It will show people that I uh, have use and value. And so we long for those things. And we want to be somebody. But the good news is this, is that we don't have to prove our identity by the things that we do or the way that we look. We have our identity in the fact that you and I are image bearers of the king. That you and I have value inherent and innate in us because the God's, God is, is near to us and he has created us. The master artist made you like you are. That's great news for us. You don't have to prove your worth by being the best at something because you are already, uh, you're already God's. You're already his image bearers. You are called to be like him and you are given purpose to, to live out the purposes that he's put in your life. And so all of our energies towards creating an identity can now be shifted and spent towards furthering and advancing his purposes in our lives. That's good news for us. Because that's what Moses said, is what's going to make us unique and distinct? God, if we go up and we get all the stuff, but we don't have you, we don't have an identity. We're just like all the other nations. But God, you make us unique. You make us distinct. And so we hope, God, that you would go with us. Because that's what's going to make us distinct. It's your presence. I love the way Tim Keller says it when talking about our identity. He says it like this. He says, sin is building your identity, finding your greatest meaning, significance, and security on something besides God. Everyone centers his or her life on something, and whatever that is becomes by definition and function, A, your God, something you adore and serve with your whole heart, and B, your Savior, something you have to have in order to feel spiritually and emotionally significant and meaningful. But my hope for us is that we would find our identity in God's presence among us, that we would find our joy in his presence among us, and that we don't spend our lives accumulating more and achieving more, and that we don't spend this upcoming year saying we're going to prove ourselves worthy, but, but God, you have proven yourself. We don't define ourselves on our accomplishments and achievements, but on Christ's accomplishments, on Christ's achievements. That's where our identity is found. And so we ask, well, how do we get that? How do we grow in the presence of God? Yes, we want safety and security. We want joy and goodness. We want an establishment of our identity in him. We want him, but, but how do we get that? Well, I love the way Moses prays for it. He simply asks God. He prays two specific things. 
Oh, we read these a second ago, but I wanted to go back and, and look at this. Verse 13, Moses says this to God. If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you. And so he prays, I want to see your ways, God. And so as we consider and think about how do we grow in a, and, and into God's presence, how do we grow in our relationship with God, Moses prays for it, and I hope that we might too. He says, I want to know you, God. I want to know your ways. I want to know uh, the things that you do and, and how you act and how you respond. I want to know the things uh, that, you, that you like I want to know what you hate. I want to know you. I want to see the benefits, the the ways that you act towards humanity. I want to see those things. And I love, he says this in verse 15, he says, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up. He says, I want to know you. I want to know your presence. Your nearness is my good. And the Hebrew word there for presence is the word face. So essentially what Moses is saying is, God, I want your face to be with us. So why would, why, would Moses, why would Moses say that? Because someone's face is the seat of their emotions. It shows who they are, if they're happy or if they're sad or stressed out or they're, they're, they're worried. You see that on their face. And so that is, that, that is the place by which you, you know somebody, they're by their face. That's why it's called Facebook and not like elbow book or something like that. That was not good. I know. Um, apologize for that. Uh, right? But, but the idea is that you know somebody by, by their face. And so Moses is saying, I want to know your face. I want your face to go with us because I want to know who you are. Have you ever been in love? You ever, hopefully you have. Have you ever just fallen head over heels for somebody? Right? Because love begs for nearness. You want to be close to that person. And you'll do whatever it takes to be close to that person. Because love begs for nearness. It longs for it. it, it it'll do crazy things to get close to that person. When, when we were in college, uh, I was trying to uh, catch the attention of a particular young lady uh, that the Lord, by His grace, allowed uh, uh, us to get married. And, and so I, uh, this was before social networking and honestly before cell phones. And so we did survive before those things. And so you actually had to like create conversations with real people and there's a lot harder to do. And so uh, I had to go and, and so Shannon had a class that got out at like 1145 and I would be uh, kind of happened to walk by her class when she was getting out. And so I didn't want to like go sit there because that's weird and creepy waiting for her. So I walked back and forth because I wanted to look like I was on my way somewhere. So I'm like, oh, oh, hey, no way, you're getting out, that's crazy, weird, it's lunchtime, maybe we grab a bite, you know, and so, uh, and so we would go eat, and, and so you sort of put yourself in the place where they are, and then when we were engaged, I was in Dallas in seminary, and she was finishing up school in College Station, so we had to make that uh, drive back and forth up I-45, and uh, sometimes we'd just meet in Waco, there's nothing else in Waco, uh, you know, it's beautiful this time of year, but, but we would gather there together just to be together, because love begs for nearness. And so I remember doing silly things to be close to her. I don't suggest this. As a matter of fact, I would say, please don't do this. But I remember driving down the highway late at night after saying goodbye and trying to get back to Dallas for class, of rolling down the window and sticking my face out the window and punching myself in the arm uh, and drinking large amounts of energy drinks in order to keep awake. Why would you do that? Because you want to be near that person. And you're willing to do crazy things, even dangerous things, to be close to the person that you love. 
I mean, we just celebrated the greatest expression of love begging for nearness, which is the incarnation of Christ. Do you think that mission was safe? Do you think that mission was dangerous? Do you think that mission was costly? Yeah, of course it was, but love begs to be near. And so God in the incarnation drew near to us. It says that the word became flesh, John 1.14, and he tabernacled among us. Remember, we just heard about tabernacle being the place of God's presence. Jesus became the physical tabernacle, the presence of God among the people. And so God moved towards his people. Why? Because love begs to be near. And that's what we see happening. And Moses is praying, God, I want to know you. I want to see your ways. I want to see your face. But not only does he pray for that, watch this in verse 18, Moses prays this pretty bold prayer. It says, Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. So Moses not only prays, I want to see your ways. I want to see the things that you do. I want to see the benefits, but I want to see your glory, your weight, your significance, your beauty. So he's praying two things. One, to see the benefits of God, to see the actions of God towards humanity. But he doesn't end there. He also sees and is praying and asking for the beauty of God. That he doesn't want to just settle for the things that God can provide. He wants to move towards God for being God, for the beauty and the glory of who God is. And I wonder in my own life, like how often my prayers fall short of that. I, I can see myself praying for the things like, Lord, would you bless this thing? Or would you give us safety? Or would you, would you provide some sort of benefit to me? See, because I love the idea that God is useful to me. But I also, honestly, I don't ever think about God being beautiful in and of himself. And Moses is praying for both the usefulness of God and the beauty of God. Because he wants to know God for who he is. The very essence of him. See, God is useful to us, right? God's love provides us with uh, mercy. God's wisdom provides us with clarity. God's strength gives us strength to, to live throughout the day. So God is useful, but he's also beautiful. And so we want to seek God, not just for the things that he can provide, but for who he is. We want to see his glory. It would be like this if there's, say, there's a, a wealthy young man who falls in love with a beautiful young woman and they, they get engaged and they're going to be married and he takes his great wealth and says, okay, I want to, I want to make more money. Uh, and so he takes that wealth and he invests it in some risky business opportunities and they go south, uh, he loses everything. So the day before the wedding, he goes into his bride-to-be and says, sweetie, I've got some bad news. Um, the money's all gone. It's, I invested it poorly and it's all gone. And uh, he says, but the good news is this, we still have each other and we have our love and we can live by the light of our love and hold hands and skip off into the sunset. And he stands up to embrace her and she stands up and slaps him in the face and walks out, slams the door, changes her cell phone number, defriends him on Facebook and they never talk again. Uh, that would be a bad day for that guy and you would probably judge her for her actions saying she was totally in that just for the money. I mean, she wasn't in it for the relationship she was in it only for the benefit, but not for the person. But how often do we approach God in the same way? We approach God asking God, we want what you can give, but we could kind of do without you. We want the, the blessings of the promised land, but we don't want to deal with the relationship. 
And our hope is that we would begin to stir our hearts and God would begin to change our hearts to say, we want to be a people like the people here who say, God, we want to see your ways, but we want to see your glory. We want to know you. And so Moses asks God to show him his glory and and God says, you can't see the fullness of my glory or else you'll surely die. It would be as if we were to take a match and to toss it into the ocean. It would be extinguished immediately because of the grandness of the ocean in comparison to the smallness of that flame. But he says, here's what I'm going to do, Moses. You prayed that you might see my glory. I'm going to take you, I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to walk past. You can't see my face because it's too much for you to handle, but you can see my back. I'm going to... I'm going to speak something to you. I'm going to say who I am. I'm going to reveal my character to you. You want to see my glory? Here it is. And so in verse 6 of chapter 34, we read this. This is God uh, passing beside Moses. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff-necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance." So God says, you want to see my goodness, you want to see my glory, this is who I am. I am eternally gracious, but I'm also righteously just. And where these things collide, where the righteousness of God, the justice of God collides with the compassion, the mercy, and the grace of God, where those things collide on the landscape of human history is at the cross of Jesus Christ, where where God's righteous justice was poured out For the sins of humanity poured out onto Jesus and it absorbed that righteous anger. But not only that, from that point, the grace of God is now given to all who would believe so that we might have faith and life and hope and we might be in his presence forever. And that's the hope that we have is that God's goodness is seen in his justice and his grace colliding at the cross And at the cross of Jesus Christ is where we see ultimately both the benefit of God and the beauty of God fully on display. And for us, as we move into this new year, we want to say, God, we we want all the things. We want the blessings. Absolutely. We want the new jobs and the new relationships. Those are great things. God, we want your benefits, but not if it means that we lose you. So, Lord, would you help us this year to grow in our experience and expression of your nearness, because that is where our good is found. That's where our joy is found. God, would you help us recognize that the cross is the place where your goodness and your glory is made manifest and made seen so that we might grow in that and that we might value your nearness to us more than all the things that you can provide. God, increase our love for you, increase our affections for you. So as we begin to make resolutions over the next couple of days, My hope is that we would be resolute in saying, God, your nearness is our preeminent priority. This relationship is the most important thing because if I lose this, then I lose everything. 
So let's consider that. Let's ask God that he would show us his ways so that we might know him. Let's ask God that he might show us his glory, that we might worship him accordingly. Let's pray for that. God, thank you for your your goodness and your kindness and grace towards us. Lord, we thank you for the fact that at the cross, your justice was poured out on Christ because we know that the wages of sin is death and the death that he died was ours, but Lord, he took it on so that we might have life and he rose again and conquered death. So now we get to be with you forever. God, and we look forward to that. So as we move into this new year, Lord, we pray that this would be a year marked not by just by the benefits that you provide, but God, it would be marked by your presence among us, knowing that that's where there's true goodness, joy, safety, security, identity, that all those things are found in you. So God, grow us in that for your glory and our good. In Christ's name, amen.